Now, as all of you know, once you get saved, life smooths out, everything gets good, right? Well, you look skeptical. Yeah, I, I, uh, I know. It's kind of like having a big old target put on your back, right? Uh, you know why that happens? When you're not saved, Satan doesn't care about you. When you get saved, it ticks him off. So things start to happen, and, and it doesn't always, you know, it, it takes some getting used to, I, I guess is the best way to put it. Within the first year of my wife and I getting saved, because we both got saved in a couple of weeks of each other, um, she got saved first, of course, because the ladies get it faster than the guys do. I'm sorry, guys, it's just true. Um, we really struggled that first year. I mean, our addictions took off. Uh, our marriage started to go downhill. But, you know, God was faithful through all that, brought us through it. Last Tuesday, we celebrated 37 years of marriage. Her dad gave it six months. So I feel real good about that, right? <laughs> um, now, I got a question for all of you, and I'm not asking for a show of hands because it's kind of a personal, difficult question. How many of you are saved but struggling? You know, it's, it, it's interesting. I've been saved for, what, 25 years or so? Some of you have been saved a long time. Some of you have been Christians since childhood. But most of us, and I think I can say most of us, seem to struggle with it. You know, God brings something to your attention that you thought was dead years ago. Uh, or he brings a, a, something to your attention that he wants you to get rid of, and you don't want to really get rid of it. Remember Pastor's story about his music and how difficult that was for him for, to, to get rid of his music when God told him to get rid of it? Um, it kind of, and you can have things that rise up and start to torment you, and you thought you, thought you were done with them. So you start to question yourself, you know, am I really saved? Do these things happen to people that get saved? Is God really for me? You know, am I walking through this alone? Now, I know some of you don't deal with it, but I think there's a large group of us that does. Now, I've got some good news for all of you, though. You're among good company. And if you're reading your Bible, many of the people you read about struggle with the same thing. How about this guy? Matthew 26, 33 to 35. Peter declared, you remember Peter? Even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. You will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. Well, what happened? Peter denied him, right? And everybody else ran away. Everybody picks on Peter, and I think they forget about that. All the other disciples ran away. Um, I read a book a long time ago. It was titled 12 Ordinary Men uh, by John MacArthur, I think. And the chapter on Peter was titled Peter the Apostle with the Foot-Shaped Mouth because Peter always seemed to have his feet in his mouth or at least one of them. Now, here's a guy that was loud and proud, right? 
Not long after Christ was crucified, what happened to him? He got up and preached to a crowd of thousands and 3,000 people got saved. Now, Jesus had to humble him before he did that. And he humbled him through this whole denial and, and kind of Peter kind of got resurrected too, if you want to put it that way, when, when all this happened. Um, so 3,000 people got saved. He told a lame man to walk. I think we heard that in Sunday school this morning, right? And that happened through the power of Christ. We're told the people used to come out in the hopes that Peter's shadow would fall on them so they would get healed. Now, we all know it wasn't Peter that was doing the healing. It was the Holy Spirit that was doing the healing. But, but that's not too shabby for a guy that started out anything but humble and a guy who denied Jesus. If we go on, if we look in the Old Testament, what about King David? He was one of the most highly revered and important characters in the Bible. You know, through David's line, we get Jesus. God even used him to lead his people during a difficult time. But even after a man after God's own heart, what was up with David? He had a history of what? Making mistakes, right? He screwed up a lot, to, to use the vernacular. He broke, and I, I don't know if any of you thought about this or not, he broke half of the Ten Commandments. He murdered. 2 Samuel eleven seventeen says, And when the enemy soldiers came out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israelite soldiers. He lied. 2 Samuel eleven seven and 8 says, When Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. Then he told Uriah, Go on home and relax. David even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. He committed adultery. In 2 Samuel 11, 4, it says, Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. This was Uriah's wife. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. He coveted a neighbor's wife, 2 Samuel 11, 2 and 3, late one afternoon after his midday rest. That's a nap to you guys. Uh, after his nap, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And he even stole another man's wife. 2 Samuel 12, 9. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite, with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. So what did David do after all that? He turned to God, right? He, he repented. I believe the line is, God, only, you and only you alone have I sinned. Against, against you and only you alone I have sinned. Uh, and he asked for forgiveness. Now God forgave him. There were consequences, right? He lost his son. And he had some other problems in life. Uh, but God forgave him, and God used him because without David, we wouldn't have Jesus, would we? Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6 says, For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. 
and this will be his name. The Lord is our righteousness. In that day, Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. So all these Old Testament people had a problem, and yet God used them. I'm sure they questioned their faith. I'm sure there were times when they didn't think that God was anywhere near them. Sometimes circumstances causes you to doubt your faith like that, right? I mean, how many of you have been through things and really asked yourself the question, where is God? You look at some of the Psalms that, that David wrote and you'll, you'll see that even in, in David. You know, where, where are you, Lord? Don't you see what's going on down here? Look at Elijah. Now, Elijah was one of the greatest prophets that lived. He's known for prophesying drought. And what about, what about his epic challenge to the prophets of Baal on Mount Horeb? You remember that? Where he, you know, he basically called them out and he told them that, you know, you give a sacrifice, I'll give a sacrifice, and whichever one God chooses, then that, you know, he's God. And God ended up sending fire down and devouring Elijah's sacrifice. And Elijah had all the prophets of Baal put to death. What happened? Well, the king's wife Jezebel heard about this, and she threatened Elijah's life. And what did Elijah do? Well, his humanity kicked in, his questioning of his faith, and he ran. He took off. And he sits down under a broom bush, and he prays to die. One king's 19.4 says, then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Now, I don't know about you. I felt like that twice in my life. You know, I've had it, Lord. This is it. What's that line from the Green Mile? I'm tired, boss. Yeah, it, it, you get to that point, don't you? You're tired, you're sick of what's going on, and you just, you just want God to take you. How did God respond to Elijah, though? With compassion, right? He fed him, he corrected him with grace, and he gave him a new purpose. 1 Kings 19, 15 to 17 says, Then the Lord told him, Go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram, then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel, and anoint Elijah, Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel, wow, Mahola, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazael will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Now, shortly after that, Elijah was taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire, right? <laughs> this is the guy that thought he was done, but he had to, he had to anoint these people. And if you, if you look through your scripture, you'll see that these people that Elijah anointed did great things. So fear can do many things to us. We can give up like Elijah, or we can give in to depression 
because of it. A lot of these things that the Bible describes, especially in the Old Testament, are people that are what? They're depressed, right? Who would give up on their life unless they were in severe depression? Now, before we leave the Old Testament, let's look at one more guy. Moses, the man who led Israel out of slavery. You remember the story? He endured a lot of faith wrestling matches. He struggled to believe he could deliver his people from Egypt after murdering an Egyptian and being rejected by his Hebrew brothers. Don't forget when Moses saw an Egyptian abusing a Hebrew and he killed him. And instead of being a hero amongst his people, his people kind of went down on him, right? They, they, a guy said something to Moses and caused him to run. Um, and murder is a sin, right? And he ran from that sin into the wilderness. And then God called him from a burning bush. And when God called him to do what he'd run away from, he still wrestled with his faith with questions like, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? And he struggled with God's response, claiming he couldn't do public speaking. <laughs> yeah, I used to think that too. And God took care of that. Um, God was frustrated with Moses, right? I think the Bible even says God decided to kill him at one point because he was so frustrated with him, but then he, then he allowed him to have his brother Aaron help him. Aaron would speak for him, and Moses would do the motions, and Aaron would speak for him. So every wrestling match that Moses went through was met with the grace of God. Every time Moses questioned his faith, every time Moses felt depressed, God's grace answered it. So there's a lot of examples in the Old Testament about people wrestling with their faith. And I'm sure you can find many more as you read your Bible. I mean, the story of Ruth, uh, a, a, lot of the, a lot of the other stories deal with the same thing. But my main focus today is on a guy from the New Testament. And I want to read a little bit about what he had to say. In Romans 7, and by the way, Romans is a great chapter if you haven't read it yet, uh, book of the Bible, not a chapter. Romans seven fourteen to 25 says, so the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble was with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good, so I am not the one doing wrong, it is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong, it is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. 
I like the way the King James Version puts verse 24. It says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Now, I love Paul. I mean, Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament. But honestly, he can talk in circles better than anybody I know. So let's take a quick look at the message version of this. It says, I can anticipate the response that is coming. I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Well, yeah. Yes, I'm full of myself. After all, I spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another. Doing things I absolutely despise. Now, how many of you have done that? You know something's wrong. You don't want to do it. And you do it anyway. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. Does that sound familiar to anybody? <laughs> it happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions, where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. How many of you can relate to that? You know, that's, to me, that's kind of the story of the Christian's life. You want to do good, but it's a struggle to do good. You want to obey God, but it's a struggle to obey God because there's something in you that keeps rebelling. And I think the message makes what Paul's saying a little easier to understand, but... What I think is important to my message today is that here's Paul, probably the greatest apostle and biblical writer of all time, who loved Christ and was obviously loved by him, struggling with the same things that you and I struggle with today, the exact same things. Now, one of my favorite Paul sayings or Paulisms, if you will, is in Romans 8.1. It says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. I think we need to keep that in mind as we go through this sermon today and as, as we go through life, you know. Condemnation doesn't come from Christ. Condemnation comes from Satan. And even though we have all this struggle going on in, 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 in us, we shouldn't condemn ourselves for that because that's not what Christ wants of us. So, have I proven to you that if you're struggling, you're in good company? Yeah? Good, we're just getting started. Yeah, and, and, and we better stretch it out, because it's only 20 after. Uh, 
So what's the struggle with? Is it with the law of Moses? No. It's not with Jesus' commandments, right? Love one another and, and, all, those, and all those things. Well, what's it with? It's with sin, right? Let's go back to what Paul was telling us in Romans 7 and look at it in a little bit more detail. What's the struggle of right and wrong, of good and bad, of telling the truth or telling a lie, of helping or hurting someone, of healing or hindering, of being a blessing or being a curse, of yielding to temptation, of saying no when your mind and body says, oh yeah. You know, have you ever been there? <laughs> of being strong when you feel weak, the struggle of pressing on when you feel like giving up, of giving into temptation when you know that the consequences could lead to death. These are the struggles of life, right? The struggle with sin, and, and it's sin. There's no need to sugarcoat it. There's no need to find a cool Greek word to express it. That's what the struggle is. And what I find is it's, it's usually that secret sin, right? We all have one. We all have things that we try to hide. What I like to call the take to the grave type of sin. You don't tell and I won't tell. The just think of me as a page in your diary type of sin. Remember diaries? I don't know if anyone keeps them anymore or not. It's the reason they have a lock on them, so that your little brother can pick the lock and read your diary, right? Who giggled? Who knows about that? Yeah, okay. Now, if you don't believe me, look at the, the scripture in verse 14 of Romans 7. It says, so the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human a slave to sin. So if you're puzzled, as I am sometimes, here you go. Paul here was describing the conflict that he as a Christian was having with indwelling sin and its continuing efforts to control his daily life. Now, I, I think that happens to all of us, right? There, there's sin tries to control us. And it's, I think it's a lifelong battle. I think it gets easier as you get older, but I think it's a lifelong battle that happens. Um, I don't care if you've been saved for 50 years or if you saved yesterday. You will struggle with sin. That's the nature of being human. One of the things Jesus did for us on the cross was to provide a way out of that through grace. Grace allows us to be victorious over sin on a daily basis. And I can't emphasize that enough. On a daily basis. You've got to struggle with every day and you've got to, through grace, be victorious over it. That's what's so important about grace. Jesus, I messed up again. Please forgive me and help me to be victorious over this sin. Done. Easy, right? Well, no, it's not. Because we're stubborn. We're capricious. There's little difference between us and the Israelites that were wandering around in the desert, right? I think, I, I often think of myself as a good Israelite. You know, I have, I have a thick head. I don't want to do the things that I'm supposed to do. So it's not easy, but it can be done with time and by not giving up. One of the things that you'll see in all these people in the Bible was most of them didn't give up, and even when they said they, gave, they were going to give up, God provided them with the, with the strength that they needed to get through it, like Elijah. 
like, like many others. Now, what, what, what does that for us? It's the grace of God, right? But how, do, how, do we, how does that operate? And I'm going to go off on a little tangent because it's one of my pet peeves. And I'm going to apologize in advance to everybody that's watching this on the internet. One of the outgrowths of the pandemic was a tremendous increase in the internet church. And while it was a good thing, there's something not so good about it. Anybody want to guess what it was? People didn't come back. Well, that's, that's pretty good. Hebrews 10.25. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now, I'm not putting internet services down. It's a great way for people who can't get to church to hear a sermon, hear a worship service. But what does it do for that hidden sin that we're talking about? I think it's too easy to keep it hidden when you're at home in your jammies with your fuzzy bunny slippers on watching a service. If you're here with fellow Christians, it becomes easier to let it out, to ask for prayer, to talk to someone who's been through it, I think that's the most important thing, to talk to someone who's been through it. Because no matter what your problem is here, you're going to find at least one person in this body that has been through that and is willing to talk about it. And boy, that's so important to, to Christians and to, and to being saved and to fighting sin. Proverbs 27.7 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. And Proverbs 27, 9 says, The heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. So you got to talk to people. You got to talk about your problems. You got to ask for prayer. Who prays for you at home? If you're lucky, your spouse and maybe your kids, right? Who prays for you when you come to church? I see a whole bunch of people here that are praying for other people. So, I mean, we, every, every Sunday morning in Sunday school, we go through a list of people that we need to pray, pray for. Every Wednesday night, we talk about praying for people. I know, I know people like this young lady that sits over here in the corner that ha has a book about this thick, I think, about, for, that she prays for. That's Rose, if you, don't, if you don't know. All right, let's get back on track here, even though that's, I think that's part, part of this. Some of you may be wondering, wait a second, if Jesus died on the cross and washed away all my sins, why do I still struggle? Why is life so hard? That's a tough one. Maybe we need to renew our mind and to present our body as a living sacrifice. Well, I know Romans 12, 1, 2, but I still struggle. How about if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Yeah, I know 2 Corinthians 5, 17. I've been saved for quite a while. Yet as a believer, I still struggle with sin. And no, Brad, I didn't give you these, so don't panic. So you're saying to yourself, yes, I know the Lord will make a way, but the bills are due. I'm about to be laid off. My kid doesn't respect me. I'm having trouble in my marriage. I'm struggling with sin. I need some real help here, not just churchy sayings. So let's go back to Paul. Paul says, I have the desire to do what is good, yet I still keep coming up short when it comes to carrying it out. Right? I want to do what's good, but I just can't seem to do it. 
How many of you have ever made a New Year's resolution? I know I have. How many of you have ever said, this is the week, this is the month, or this is the year I'm going to lose weight? I told Diane this morning, I've been fighting with this for 50 years now. Starting Monday, I'm going to start waking up at zero dark 30 and work out. Monday morning, that's the day I'm going to get up early and jump on the treadmill. Then a month of Mondays comes and goes. Five years later, you still haven't started working out. Boy, I am a living testament to that, I'll tell you. How about this? This is the year I'm going to stop smoking or drinking. This is it. I know that this stuff's not good for me. This is it. Well, that was five years ago. And I've gone from one pack a day to two. Now, I'm sure most of you would agree that some things are easier said than done when it comes to breaking a habit that you're struggling with. So go back to Romans 7. Paul declares his strength for this struggle. In verses 23 to 25, he says, But yet there is another power within me that is in war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Verse 25, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. The struggle with sin is not knowledge. It's not how many scriptures you know. It's not pedigree. It's not my family. I'm a third generation or fourth generation Christian. We're all God's children, but we all still struggle. Paul in the text is demonstrating that through it all, no matter what you are going through, no matter what you are struggling with, we need to do what? Pray, thank God through Jesus Christ who is the source of our strength. So the answer to the question, how can I find deliverance from this dilemma, this struggle, sin, the answer is, you can't. Jesus can. Paul vividly illustrates the weakness of the law of Moses in this scripture. The law is holy. The law is good. But it didn't offer deliverance. It did not offer deliverance from the guilt and power of sin. You could want to do good all day long, yet the ability to truly do as you should wasn't there. So to answer this question, you can't find deliverance. The answer is Jesus can't. Now let me, let me end with a little story. And wow, we're going to get out early. Sorry, Pastor Jeff. <laughs> he, always, he always says he feels like he's cheating you if he lets you out early. I, I'm sorry, I don't. I, I do what God tells me to and then I finish. Um, I want to tell you a little story from a Baptist minister friend of mine. And I'm sure he got it from someone else, and I'm sure they got it from someone else, and you can probably find it on the Internet if you look hard enough. But here, here goes. I was walking through the road of life, and I fell into a great ditch. Now, this was no ordinary ditch. This ditch was the ditch filled with depression, discouragement, and sin. As I laid in that ditch, Muhammad came along and said, it's your own fault that you're in the ditch. You see, you offended Allah, and this is your just punishment. 
Buddha came along and said, you're not really in that ditch. You just think you're there. It's all an illusion of the mind. Be at peace and learn to live in your ditch. Then Confucius came by and said, here are the 10 steps of self-attainment by which you can get out of your ditch. If you will climb and struggle, you will come, climb out eventually. But as much as I struggled and strained, I could not get out of the ditch because it was too deep. Then one day, Jesus Christ came by and saw me in my ditch. Without a word, he reached down and lifted me up out of the ditch. And I thank God that Jesus did for me what I could not do for myself. You can't, you can't get out of sin yourself. It takes Jesus. Jesus is the only one strong enough to do it. And, and I say that coming from addiction. I say that coming from a life before I got saved that was very me-oriented and very worldly. Jesus is the only one that can get you out. You're not strong enough to do it yourself. The harder you try to do it yourself, the more you're going to sink into the ditch. So what's, who's the answer? Okay, that's a little better. It's time to stop trying to make it on your own and time to start trusting Jesus. It's time to stop trying and time to start thanking Jesus for what he has already done for us. So where's the strength come from? Well, Romans 7.25 says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Paul, again, in Ephesians 5, verse 20 says, And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wrecked your car? Give thanks to God. You're still alive. You're still alive. Yeah. Lose your job? Give thanks to God. Because maybe he's got something else for you. That was so hard for me to learn. It took an old Baptist minister who, believe it or not, was preaching in my Pentecostal church. That's a whole nother sermon. Because uh, his, his main thing was two things. It's a heart problem and praise God for everything. And boy, he was a perfect example of that. So Paul's saying, I thank God, the source, through Jesus Christ, the channel of deliverance, for doing for me what I could not do for myself. And making it personal, personal, I thank God through Jesus Christ. Although I'm struggling with sin and with self, Jesus still loves me. Although I'm struggling to get it right, although I do some things that I shouldn't and don't do some things that I should, I thank God through Jesus Christ that he still loves me. You know, we're, we're all here for a reason. We've all been through the things that we've been through for a reason. Many of you here, and you probably don't even know it, have helped me tremendously. Um, I'm sure you'll help others. And that's, that's the whole deal with this thing. Jesus saved us. Yeah, okay, we're going to go to heaven, we're saved, and all that kind of stuff. But Jesus saved us so we could do what? introduce him to other people, right? So that the Holy Spirit can work in them and draw them in and they'll get saved. So that they can turn around 
and minister to other people. And, you know, that's, that's how 3,000 people got saved when Peter preached. That's how thousands more got saved. That's why when the church is persecuted, all of a sudden it starts to grow. That's why, that's why you'll find a lot, of, a lot of authoritarian dictatorships don't persecute the church anymore because they've learned that when you persecute the church, it grows. And sooner or later, it outgrows you. So that's pretty much it this morning, and it's only 25 of, so I don't know. I, I don't have a song and dance routine prepared. Um, and, and pastor would probably throw me out of the church if I did that, but uh, that, that's all I have this morning. So let's, let's pray, and then I'm just going to let you go. Father, your word is just awesome, Lord. So many times we, we look at it and, and we just don't understand it and then we read it again and then we read it again and then all of a sudden something speaks to us out of it and that's your spirit, Lord, and we thank you for that. Father, let us, let us be the, the little Christ, the Christians that you want us to be, Lord. Let us go out into the world and share with people. Let, let us share that no matter how much we struggle, no matter how much we, we don't do the right thing, that you still love us and you will help us. You'll guide us, you'll give us the strength that we need to overcome sin, to be victorious. Lord, we thank you for that daily struggle. We thank you that each day we can come to the end of it and thank you for anything that's happened to us that day and that we can move on to the next day, Lord. Lord, as we leave, I ask that you bless everybody. I ask that you bless your word and let it speak to us during the week. I ask that you just bless each and every person that's here as they go through their week, Lord, and that they can return next week and, uh, and praise you again. So, Lord, in Jesus' name, we thank you. And everybody said? Amen. Thank you. And pray for me because i got to preach again next week, and God has not given me a subject yet. So... I know he will. Brad's hoping that he does it before midnight Saturday night. Have a good week.